1: Hello again, and welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Kadejo Jones, as always, you can call me Kadejo, and this week I am joined by two new members of the Punching Out Collective, and I will let them introduce themselves instead of talking over them.
2: Hi guys, I'm Nadia Makita. And I'm Rachel Carson.
1: So before we dive into this week's topic, I figured we should go around and get a little bit of work history. In my case, I've worked in a (laughs) a wide variety of jobs. I've worked in a steel factory, several other factories, and got laid off for most of them. I've worked being an instructor at a summer camp. I've worked warehouse jobs. I've worked retail. I've kind of done like a little bit of everything under the sun, but I've never really done any of it for more than like a year at a time, with the exception of my current job, but I'm not going to say who they are.
3: I have also worked in a variety of different jobs. I spent a lot of time working in restaurants as a server. I did some time at an overnight diner, a couple years doing that, worked at a local screen printing company, and I currently work for a gigantic healthcare
1: corporation. That sounds miserable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I
2: have also, as I think most people in our generation at this point, have jumped from job to job to job because job security is kind of a Thing of the past, unfortunately, but I have worked in landscaping. I've worked retail. I currently work in healthcare mostly with cancer
1: patients. So I think a lot of people in Rochester, like ever since the dwindling of manufacturing, have ended up in healthcare because those are the big industries around here.
2: Absolutely. Ooh, definitely. Largest employer in Monroe County now.
1: Yeah. So you have an article there.
2: I do. And our focus for this week was gonna be about shift work and the impacts of shift work.
1: Specifically overnights, because I think it's at some point, Nadia and I started talking about the fact that we have both worked overnights and it can be a kind of miserable experience. Indeed.
2: Miserable in many ways. As my current job, working mostly with cancer patients but working in healthcare, I have done my own research uh, when I was still working in academia about the connection between shift work, specifically overnight shift work, and cancer. There is a growing body of evidence that finds shift workers to be much more susceptible to developing cancer and certain kinds of cancer. There's an article in particular that I brought with me today that blew my mind and ever since reading it, I have changed my behavior in certain ways. I was talking to Nadia and Kadejo last night about this and they thought it would be a good idea for me to share it with all of you. So this specific, it's a peer-reviewed medical journal article by Jefferson Medical College and Bassett Research Institute The title of the article is a little bit overwhelming, but I will explain in plain English afterwards. Nocturnal oral melatonin supplementation prevents dim light during darkness-induced stimulation of signal transduction, LA uptake metabolism and growth of tissue-isolated human breast cancer xenografts in female nude rats. So basically, this study had four different groups of these female nude rats, and they had grafted human breast cancer cells to all four groups. Science is
1: weird.
3: Science is
2: weird. (laughs) Yes, and it's also kind of not very nice to these poor rats. But what's done is done. The first group was the control group, and they gave this group of rats 12 hours of light and 12 hours of darkness. Then the second group, and actually all the remaining groups, two, three, and four, had dim light at night. And by dim, it's 0.2 lux, which is... Not a lot. Which is very, very little. So all of us who have a backlit alarm clock or our cell phone, like that's way more dim light than they were giving these rats, so almost
3: imperceptible. Yes, of light.
2: Okay. yes, almost imperceptible. They said in the article that it's not enough light to change the desire to like eat and drink. You know, everything is the same except that it completely suppresses melatonin production. And I guess I should explain to what melatonin is. It's something that your body creates. It's from your pineal gland. The pineal gland is at the base of the brain, I believe, mm-hmm. but your body can only created in complete darkness during REM sleep. It's important because as far as I know, all living things on this planet make melatonin and it is something that your body makes that repairs damaged DNA. In the course of our daily lives, our DNA is getting damaged all the time. Your cells get damaged, response to exposure to chemicals, you know, you cut yourself, all sorts of things. To repair them, there's a lot of different chemicals or antioxidants, those sorts of things that can help repair them. But melatonin is the only thing that your body makes that repairs not only the DNA in the nucleus, of your cells, but also in the mitochondria of your cells. And cancer specifically is a disease where your DNA is damaged and so your cells just start to reproduce out of control. So these scientists, in addition to a growing number of others, have discovered that melatonin is oncostatic, which means that it prevents cancer growth. And they call it tumor inhibitory. So going back to the four groups of rats, the first group was the control group. The other three groups had dim light at night, but the interesting difference between the second group had dim light at night, but they gave them melatonin in their water all the time. So whenever they drank water, they were getting supplemental melatonin, even though they weren't making it themselves because they had light. Then the third group was given melatonin, but they were also given a melatonin antagonist, which basically prevented them from absorbing any melatonin. And then the last group had dim light at night, so they weren't making any of their own melatonin, and they had no supplement. The interesting outcome of this article is that because all four groups had cancer to start with, because they were given the human breast cancer cells, the control group, nothing really happened. It didn't grow, it didn't shrink, because they were making their own melatonin, not getting any supplement. So it stayed the same. I'm going to skip the second group, because the second group is the big deal. The third group and the fourth group actually had the same outcome, and the cancer grew at 130%. Jesus. The second group that had dim light at night weren't making any of their own melatonin, so that's like all of us, Mm -hmm. because I don't know about you, but I have no darkness in my life. No. Had supplemental melatonin in the water, the tumors disintegrated.
1: That's crazy.
2: In my own work with cancer patients, I've discovered that a lot of the cancer patients used to work the overnight shift. A lot of them are nurses, surprisingly, or waitresses, or just wait staff in general. I guess I should just say wait staff. Wait staff in general.
3: I say servers, but it can be confusing, servers. I guess, depending on what like the context. But wait staff, for yeah. sure.
2: Yeah, because yeah. the overnight restaurant. Because
1: um, it probably applies to all the overnight cooks, too, I'm imagining.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. And busers, yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah, the other thing that when I was doing my own research, they've found that communities like Amish or Mennonite communities that don't have any electricity, so they don't have light at night. Mm-hmm have almost no incidence of cancer. And they never really understood why. And I think this melatonin piece is the connection. Yeah. Well, that's what makes the most sense. The trouble yeah. is that it's not profitable. So pharmaceutical companies cannot put a patent on melatonin. So the money for research is very little.
1: Well, the other part of it, too, is there's all sorts of other things that can be awful about working the night shift, which I'm sure we'll get into. But the, yes. the, the thing to look at here is we've, in a lot of ways, made overnight work a necessity. And this is evidence that it is actually very-
2: Very damaging.
1: Very damaging to your health. I mean, I worked overnights for about six months and I quit not because I wasn't getting paid enough I was actually getting nearly 40 hours a week Although I wasn't making more than minimum wage But it got to a point where I was sleeping maybe two hours a week Not two hours a night, two hours a week Like being awake for sometimes two or three days at a time and I felt like I was going insane
2: And even if you're making good money, at what cost? At what cost to your health? At what cost to your social life? It's not worth it
3: Yeah. Yeah, Again, I worked overnights at a restaurant for a little over two years, and my experience was generally good uh, in terms of enjoying the work and not being particularly bothered by the hours themselves. You know, I worked overnight, but then I went home and went to sleep and slept in the morning and got up in the early afternoon and was still able to like complete daytime tasks if I needed to and whatever. It was more the work itself dealing with people that just think, you know, because you're a waitstaff person or a server that you're their servant and they can treat you horribly, which I know Cadejo mentioned, with the same sort of treatment.
1: Yeah, and I think that's something we can talk about more after the break. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. If you enjoy our show, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Weyo. If you'd like to share your stories, you can email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Back to the show. Are you doing our, we're back yeah. on the break, we
3: so, in intro? Okay. Hello
1: again. Hello again. We're welcome. We're back and we are no idea what we're talking about. Okay, sorry.
2: Let's try <laughs> yeah, that again. I hope I Rachel hope we you do. Off.
1: I'm sorry. When we left off, we started talking about the difficulties of shift work on social interaction.
2: As opposed to your physical health.
1: Yeah, the physical health. And one of the things that has come up again and again is it's not just the overnight shift and its difficulty in and of itself of being overnights, but having not steady shifts scheduled, like the whole...
2: Rotating shifts.
1: Rotating shifts, or like I worked for a baseball team at one point in my life, and I've worked other seasonal jobs. You don't always get scheduled the same amount of hours or the same days every week, and that can be very difficult to just get things done in life.
2: There's no routine. It can make it really difficult to plan anything other than work. And a lot of times you don't get your schedule very far in advance.
1: Which is difficult because then, and this is also true of like, say, any sort of service work or tip work is you don't know how much you're going to make a week.
3: Right. So not only do you not know how many hours you're going to get, you also can only count on whatever your pitiful tipped employee minimum wage is. And that's all you can count on,
2: really. So budgeting is difficult as well. Budgeting is
3: basically impossible. So not only monetarily, but your time too, right? Like if you don't know when you're going to work from one week to the next... You can't, You can't make any plans.
1: So this is something I think also we should hit on because until recently, I didn't understand it too. You mentioned a tipping minimum wage. Mm -hmm. Do you want to explain the difference there?
3: I don't know all the nuances of it, but when I was working in restaurants, I believe when I started, the tipped minimum wage was something like $3 an hour and the regular minimum wage was $5 an hour. And the idea is that because you're earning tips, those tips per hour should, in theory, level out your pay. So in theory, you should be making as much with your tips as a regular minimum wage, if not more. But obviously that doesn't always happen.
1: Yeah, and I know, um, for example, even now uh, in Pennsylvania, the, I believe the tipped minimum wage is two dollars and thirty-seven cents an hour, which is not.
3: I think here it's three twenty-five, isn't it? It's gone up significantly. <laughs> in
1: New York, the minimum wage is nine seventy.
3: Yeah, really? Yeah. So the New York minimum wage is nine seventy, and then I think the tipped minimum wage is close to six. It's usually like a thirty percent gap.
1: So what's supposed to happen is if the employees don't make enough with tips, the employer pays the difference. The so employer that it's is
3: supposed to make it up.
1: But the problem with that is enforcement. Yeah, that's on the law books, but it's one of those things sort of like equal opportunity hiring and all sorts of enforcement of like harassment laws is it all comes down to whether or not it's very well enforced. And I've heard, especially from a friend or two in Pennsylvania that down there, it's not,
3: it's not here either. I spent almost a decade in food service. That never happened to me one time, but subsequently I've gotten more than one check from the department of labor from previous well, jobs of wages that I was owed that I didn't even know about.
1: That's pretty nice. I wish that had happened to me. Yeah. I mean,
3: <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was a nice surprise. You know, a lot of people get out of high school and go into food service, and they have no idea that you're supposed to claim every dollar that you make. Every tipped dollar that you make, you're supposed to claim for tax purposes, and most employers do that for you. And how they do it, it varies from place to place. Some places claim every dollar that you make like they're supposed to, other places have some weird formula that they decide on arbitrarily, as far may, as I know.
1: Maybe not arbitrarily necessarily, but maybe in a hostile manner they decide right. it.
3: Yeah. Some places just do, they claim $5 an hour for everyone. As They got tipped $5 an hour every hour for the entire time that they worked. It's, yeah, it's a little yeah. crazy.
1: So this is what bugs me about that whole difference between uh, tipped wages and the normal minimum wage, is it sets apart There's what's considered the lowest class. There's the people who are getting paid the least for the amount of work they do, and, and in a lot of cases, what people look down on as being the worst jobs.
3: Sure, what people consider unskilled labor.
1: Yeah, which is a whole other uh, angry rant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but even within that lowest class in society, it's creating another division it puts anybody who's minimum wage and on that tip minimum wage kind of against each other as well. It's like, it's not fair that you're getting paid more than I am for doing the same kind of low end, low end's the wrong word, like hard work down here For not enough pay you're getting paid slightly better it creates a division that doesn't need to be there and it also shorts all these people because like we've talked about it's not commonly enforced properly
3: right and it also it creates division in that there's segments of the food service industry where it's a gray area whether or not someone should be getting should be getting you can't see this this yeah. is not a video <laughs> podcast. I, I, I'm starting over. <laughs> I should be. Like I'm doing aviancé. air quotes. Cor- yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it creates a division between people in the food service industry because there's gray areas as far as who gets tipped employee wages and who gets not tipped employee wages. Because someone like a food expediter generally gets paid regular minimum wage, but then the servers are also expected to tip them out at the end of the night. And then, really? this right, and what is a food They're basically people that run the food from the kitchen to the table.
0: Oh,
1: so if you've ever had that time where you're at a restaurant and the like Somebody they come with that huge tray, yeah, or like some random person, a couple person. people come out and set down the huge tray, set your food, and there's like two other people beside your. Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever wait staff handing you your food, that's what a food expediter is. Right,
3: so food mm-hmm. expediter, bus people, people mm-hmm. that are cleaning tables, sometimes get paid tipped minimum wage and sometimes get paid regular minimum wage. But again, servers at the end of the night are expected to tip them out and servers always get paid tipped minimum wage. So then that depending on the type of restaurant that you work at, there could be three or four different people that you have to tip out at the end of the night that might be making more, the better minimum wage than you yeah. are and you still have to pay them instead of the employer just paying them. And mm-hmm. you.
2: And from what I understand, servers end up dealing with the bulk of the harassment, correct? Because y- they spend yeah. the most time interfacing with the customers. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of harassment and- that happens in restaurants
3: comes from other employees mm-hmm. to, you know, um, you true. know, kitchen staff against wait staff and vice versa. I mean, it's not always customers. My experience personally has always almost always been with customers. Um, So yeah, in that respect, I would think that yes, because servers are are the most forward facing and that, you know, they're getting hit from both sides, like from the back of the house and then also from their customers.
1: Yeah. And I think that's something looking at the culture of tipping as well as harassment, both of those things, I think they are related. And that's something we can talk about after the break. You're listening to Punching Out on W-A-Y-O-L-P Rochester. If you enjoy our show, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Punching Out Wayo. If you want to contact us, share your story, or just complain to us, we are there at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com.
0: Back to the show.
3: To like deal with their miserable yeah, hangover food. So they, yeah. then they also need garbage plates.
1: Yeah.
2: To make their existence so much less better. miserable.
3: Better.
1: It's better. <laughs> so we're back. That hole. <laughs> now we wanted to focus on, particularly, this is something that Nadia and I share in common, is in one form or another getting harassed on the overnights. And I actually had a theory about why this is. It's part of in infectious and toxic part of a lot of our culture
2: i'd say patriarchy
1: yeah culture is also that's embedded. a whole nother
2: topic though yeah.
1: well i think those two things are embedded in culture as I it agree.
2: is unfortunately
1: um <coughs> oh great that's on there
2: Woo. yeah, yeah if there's theory. any
1: doctors out there if my phlegm sounds odd please call in <laughs>
2: please because they're going to hear
3: this part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, You were saying you had a theory about why overnight workers you experience get more? more harassment.
1: Yeah. One of the reasons I think, because it's what people think they can get away with. And when you're the only people there, that's one of the hard parts about overnights is you end up isolated. Especially for me, the nice nights were the ones where it got snowed in at the gas station long enough that no one could come in. Because when people did come in, it was just me and them. And all those facades that exist... All those cultural norms, if you're not supposed to be nasty to people, some people violate those during the day, too. But at night, when people think they can get away with it, they are so much more mean.
3: It's a lot easier to drop your social graces when no one else is looking.
1: Yeah, and I have particular stories. Do you have any about, like, just as an example, like an instance of where how this would be different during the day?
3: Yes. I worked at an overnight diner that specifically kind of catered to the like late night kind of
2: party crowd party
3: crowd yeah i think that that had a lot to do with why i experienced more harassment on overnights than in other restaurant jobs that i had because you know 50 percent or more of the people that i was waiting on were drunk or high or just otherwise intoxicated in some way and that you know not only is it the witching hour you're also hammered so there's and you're with your stupid friends and they're all drunk too and and it just creates this sort of like uninhibited toxic and toxic environment yeah
1: Mm. yeah before we go into this next section there's something i should clarify The night before we recorded this episode, we went with our producer to lay out how we were going to go about recording the episode, and there I recounted an incident where I was harassed while I was working overnights at the gas station, and I left out a lot of the details because, frankly, it's still too fresh in my mind to go over, despite happening two years ago. And when we were in the studio recording this episode, Nadia recounted something that happened to her off the cuff that we hadn't discussed the night before, and if you can tell pretty quickly that it caught Rachel and I off guard. When I started doing the work to edit this episode, I went back and personally made sure that Nadia was okay with sharing the story. So the next section of what you hear is what she told us without any editing. So <laughs> my story is even worse and I don't even think I really want to share it. Yeah, I told you about and that.
2: Don't. You didn't tell us specifics.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah, but I mean, yeah, you certainly don't have to. I mean, I have plenty of specific, like, uh, you know the time some dude, like, reached up my skirt and grabbed my business. Like, <gasps> and, like, whatever, you know, like.
2: Seriously? Yeah,
3: it just, well, I mean, if you think about, like, the way that a restaurant is laid out and like, the height of booths and, like, when your server is standing next to you, you're sort of, like, at eye level with their hips or whatever. Yeah, yeah, people are gross. They're gross. And I just happen, I happen to be lucky in that, like. Did you punch him in the face? The people that, no, I just started screaming, and my, my boss happened to be there, which was very unusual for, for, that particular restaurant, but they, he threw him out. He did yeah, yes. unceremoniously. Yes. Uh, my, and, and again, that, that is not usual. My, yeah. I was very lucky that my employers at least on the overnights, because I did work some normal like dinner shifts at that place. Um, on the overnights, they were very intolerant of any sort of buffoonery. They did not, they did not hold with it. They either you acted right or you got out. Like, and if you had already ordered, you paid for your food that you didn't get to eat and then got out. But on dinners, that, that's, you know, that was a different story they expected. Like, because it's daytime and people weren't drunk and it's usually just old people that are like, oh, hey, yeah. early. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, that's acceptable. But I mean,
1: there's two sides to this, both in the like the way people act at night and even the like not shouting things out because you don't want to make a scene. Mm-hmm. There's exists. I think people like – obviously, we don't like bosses. That's kind of the whole theme of the show is that bosses are miserable. Your bosses aren't listening. But we are is the catchphrase specifically. But also that customers can be incredibly, incredibly awful. But I don't think that is for a separate reason. I think very much uh, capitalism has built this culture of convenience where we expect to be waited on hand and foot. We expect things to be ready at any hour. That's why so many grocery stores have like 24-7 things and Walmart. Some of those hours aren't profitable because people aren't coming in, but you're programmed into this idea of consume, consume, and that you're entitled. An, entitlement. Enti- an yeah. entitlement. You're You're entitled to be waited on.
3: You should be able to get whatever you want any you yeah. want. Yeah, yeah.
2: which yeah. is an unreasonable expectation, I think.
1: Yeah. And it builds this... It's built this overnight shift that, in is a lot of ways, awful to work, and it doesn't just go to that. I mean, there's certain ones that should, you know, you kind of need to have twenty four seven responsiveness, like utilities, in hospitals. Be tough. Yeah, those you you need to, and those are always going to be miserable shifts. But those are things that like we need
3: those mm-hmm. need to exist yeah. however an overnight shift at a factory doesn't need to exist it yeah. exists only to make more money faster
1: yeah it, mm-hmm. it's to perpetuate a system you're trying right. to be competitive why why do we shut this down when we could have it running and hypothetically in, in a in an age of automation you could have a bunch of that stuff just running on its own but instead we have people working about it you had something you were going to say about
2: yeah I've been thinking about the Precept at the foundation of our system, which is that a capitalist economy needs to sustain a growth rate forever. And that is inherently unsustainable, I think, because there's no room in that for maintenance. And if we have a finite planet of resources, how can you have infinite growth forever in an economy? Without considering the ecology. Yeah. But I think that also perpetuates the need to increase the amount of subjugation of the workers. Yeah. Like, if you need to always have more, you need to abuse people more.
1: Yeah.
3: People need to work harder and faster and for longer if, right. if infinity is ever going to be obtained. Which yeah. it isn't. Right.
1: There's a concept, and I, definitely experienced this when I worked at a certain package company who I would love to name but won't because then (laughs) I will go on a rant about how much I hated the way they treat people there. But there's a concept that goes way, way back in labor and the concept of the speed up and it's exactly that. It's the pace that you have to hit certain amount of production an hour and almost always it is just beyond what is reasonable. Like there's some people who can do it. I saw some people working there who I don't understand how they were able to move like, some of the stuff we lifted were, like, 120-pound generators. I don't understand how they move those things fast. There's always, Without like, hurting one... hurting yourself, th- too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think some of them just didn't were
2: Damn
1: manly. I'm places. using air quotes like people can see. Yeah. <laughs> uh, were manly enough, manly mm. enough, or whatever, to just be able to pull through it. Or we're going to say, even if it was hurting, they weren't talking about them. But those one or two people... They get singled out and say, hey, everybody should be, if they can make this pace, anybody can make that pace. And it's not reasonable.
3: Right. And even if those people didn't exist, even yeah. if there was no one that could hit that pace, that it would still be just beyond your reach so that you have something to work towards, air quotes again. <laughs> you, need, you need that, like, it's the carrot and the stick,
1: right? Yeah.
2: Or it's also just setting people up for failure and disappointment.
1: Yeah. It, it gives them an excuse to fire you. I, don't, I know that definitely happened at one of the factories. I worked at where I was hired for a week and I was a little slow in the beginning because I was learning. And it was actually my first, I was years ago I was working for the first time in a factory and I was getting faster. And the guy who was actually just like the foreman, the guy who was one step above me, was nice enough to say, yeah, you were a little shaky on this, but you're getting the flow of it. You're starting to get speed up. You're starting to learn this. You're doing well. And then Monday I got called in and they say, you're not working fast enough. We're letting you go. What I found out later is what the company was doing because I had a friend who had been like gone to school for machining and got a degree there running the machines because they needed it. And he said I was not the only one and that throughout the course of that whole summer they were doing that. Was so they were hiring someone on for a week, having them do overtime work, getting the pay, and then saying you're not fast enough and kicking them off just to catch up to how much they were behind. Disposable right. workers. Disposable, Disposable workers. workers. And I think that's... I think uh, one of the I, we're coming to a close on this episode, but there's something a concept I want to talk about, which I think has been a recurring theme. Obviously, this is a show about you know working, and obviously, if you've been listening, talking about whether it be waitresses or waiters or people in nursing and all of this, there, there emerges this idea that there's a division between us, those of us who work, and those of us who are in charge or those of us who are owners. And I don't at any point want people to think that the things that have gotten better for us have just appeared. Particularly, I want to think about the events of a day, May 4th, 1886, so well over 120 years ago. On this day, a bunch of laborers had gathered to uh, have speeches and talk about an issue in a place called Haymarket Square. The crowd was enormous. I'm pretty sure it was in the course of 3,000 to 4,000 people and the police in the area and the bosses were nervous and as the speeches were going on someone threw a bomb and it hit some of the police and the police opened fire on the crowd it became known as the Haymarket riot or as the people who don't like to think of it as a riot as the Haymarket affair the people who were in charge of the labor gathering the people who had organized the rally Ended, several of them ended up being executed, even though they were not the ones who threw the bomb. To this day, it's people have theories, but nobody knows who actually did it. But the catch here is why they were together. What they were organizing for was the eight-hour workday. That fight has been going on for just normal, basic, the eight-hour workday that full-time people enjoy. The first time anybody was fighting for that was well over a century ago. And people literally died. To make sure we got do not at any point think that the benefits you have the employers giving health care that um a minimum wage the fact that child labor is banned do not ever think that it was the magnanimity of the bosses that led to the, us having that people have it's literally always been at a cost it's always been at a cost and people a cost have cost of lives have fought and died to make sure we had these things.
2: Yeah,
3: make no mistake. The and bosses others. are never going to give you what you want. They're never going to do the right thing on their own.
1: Yeah, there are. you will meet nice people. They are the exception, not the rule.
2: And not only that, but I feel that we're in a period where those things that we have already been given are being systematically eroded away. Yeah. So the eight-hour workday is no longer a given. People work overtime and do overnight shifts and have rotating shifts. People have to
3: work multiple part-time jobs and end up working 80 hours a week because they can't get a full-time job because nobody wants to give them benefits and they can't afford to not work 80 hours a week. It just goes on and on.
1: And the fact that we think of part-time and full-time as separate things Mm -hmm. in and of itself is a problem. So... Not that this is a call to action, but I just want people to keep that in mind, is that these are things that people fought for. And let's not forget the people who did. And with that, I think we're out of time for this week. So as always, my name is Cadejo Jones. You can call me Kadejo.
2: I'm Nadia Makita. And I'm Rachel Carson.
1: Remember, your bosses aren't listening. But, but we, we are. are.